the City Travel with Kids podcast, helping you plan big city trips with kids. Brought to you by Little City Trips. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this week's City Travel with Kids podcast. I am your host, and Marta Correale, and today we're talking all about Tokyo, Japan. We have a wonderful guest with us today, ready to share her knowledge and advice about visiting Tokyo with kids. But before we jump into the interview, I want to welcome my co-host for today, Kerry Hedrick, who joins us from Abu Dhabi. Hi, Kerry. How are you today? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Marta. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I am freezing in my attic today which in Dublin, which I think is not your experience in Abu Dhabi, probably. No, no we're just coming into the cooling part of the year now, so the temperatures just drop below about 40, so yeah, it's perfect time oh. of the year to start coming out this way. Chilly. <laughs> so today we are going to be hearing all about Tokyo. I was in Tokyo many years ago uh, before I had the kids and I loved it, but I cannot say it's a city that I know very well. Uh, Kerry, have you been to Tokyo or even Japan in general? I went to Tokyo same as you. It seems to be a trend we have, isn't it, Marta? I went to Tokyo with my husband pre-kids as well. And, yes. you know, it's the one place I've ever been to where I felt really foreign. I felt I stood out very much as a Westerner, but it was also one of the most amazing experiences I ever had traveling. So, yeah, I'm fascinated to hear what Tokyo is going to be like with kids today. Yeah, it's funny. I had a very similar experience because I was there with work uh, in a previous life <laughs> and I had a, a local guide with me. Uh, so that made things really, really easy and very interesting because I got a few insights about the place. But I remember when she left me for, for a couple of days, wow, <laughs> you know, I felt a little bit lost, which doesn't happen to me often when traveling. But at the same time, as you say, it's an amazing city and a, a real immersion. Like I, I would love to go back as a family. Now, before we get onto our Tokyo episode and meet this week's guest, each week on our podcast, we like to highlight a question or a discussion from our City Travel with Kids Facebook group that we think would be useful to our podcast listeners. And the question from this week is about double strollers for travel. Kerry, you have three children and travel a lot. So is there any special brand you recommend or maybe some special features that worked for you on a double stroller? You know you've absolutely hit on my soft spot here, don't you, Marta, when mm-hmm. you start talking about travel gear. Um, yes, we, we are definitely double stroller connoisseurs over the years. My one big tip with a travel stroller is try to get one of the side-by-side models as opposed to one of the ones with the interconnecting seats. This oh, right. is because the side-by-sides tend to come in one piece, whereas when you've got the interconnecting pieces, they might be great for your everyday use where you can take your car seats and, the, and change all the combinations for the different ages of your children. But the side-by-sides, even though they look wide, they're really not that bad and far more convenient for pushing one-handed. It's definitely a better choice for us and particularly the way that you can collapse them. They're, they're actually very straightforward to collapse. So that would be my top tip for looking for a travel double store. Yeah, that's good to hear. I think how small and how easily they fold is a big thing. I remember we did have a double stroller, but I didn't love it for travel because every time we had to pass there for security, I had to take off one of the wheels. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't go <laughs> under the, <laughs> the security machine, which, you know, it's fine. It was easy to take off and put back on. But just that little extra hassle that especially if you've got young children running around, you know, with our, the security people, it's just don't need. <laughs> That's 
absolutely. You, you want something as simple as possible. And the only thing to mention, if you do start reducing the size of a double stroller, obviously the big thing when you're collapsing a stroller is the size of the wheels. If yes. um, you go too small, then your wheels start to become too small to handle the weight of the stroller. And maybe okay when you've got two infants, but when you've got two toddler slash preschooler age children trying to sit in a double stroller and you're trying to get it up over bumps and curbs, you don't want to lose too much in your wheel size on that double stroller. So really think about how much you're compromising on a lightweight model versus what you actually need the stroller to do. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, as a European traveller and, you know, cobble street, ancient city centres kind of traveller that I am, you know, I always go on about the wheels of strollers because they can make a big difference both for your children and, and your own back you know you really don't want them to get stuck yes. and bumps and stuff yeah. a lot of people will argue with me that you know you don't need a stroller when you go to Asia I have been several times when my children were all quite young so at, at one point I had three under five and I still had the two older children in the pram plus one attached to me on a carrier so yeah it, it, you've really got to weigh it up based on the, on the age and stage of your kids if a double stroller is worth it but for us I, I definitely feel it was we, we were simply outnumbered and when you're trying to get through busy streets it can be much easier to have them strapped in and something to push them in but there was compromises in terms of like certain street markets we knew we couldn't walk down the street because we'd be interrupting everyone too much so yeah, you, re you really got yeah. to weigh up that the double is the best decision for you yeah well thank you for that that was actually really useful and I hope it helped our listeners to make up their mind and you know they give them food for thought on whether to bring a double stroller on their travels or not and now let's focus on this week's destination city. Tokyo is one of the mega cities of the world. It is busy, exciting, it's exotic. It's a bucket list for many, but it is also one travelers have many questions about from logistics to budget and language. Earlier this week, Marianne sat down with our Tokyo expert, Anne, from Pre-Traveler to find out everything we need to know about planning a city trip to Tokyo. Before we hear the interview, I just want to remind you that if you want to be kept up to date with all our latest episodes, then don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions about Tokyo after listening to today's episode, or you have any other family travel questions, you can come and chat to us in our Facebook group, CC Travel with Kids. We would love to see you there. You can also find lots of information about Tokyo on our family travel guide on the Little City Trips website. Finally, I want to let you know that you will be able to find a copy of our show notes from today's episode on our website at littlecitytrips.com podcast, and we will link to any relevant and useful information mentioned in today's interview there. So without further ado, let's pass over to Marianne and Anne to hear all about Tokyo. I'm Marianne Rogerson and today I am joined by Anne Sutherland-Smith from the travel blog Pre-Traveller, which concentrates on travel in Japan and South Korea. Anne also runs the Facebook group Japan Travel Planning, which has over 75,000 members, so she is very experienced helping people to plan trips to Japan. And I'm sure we will get lots of useful information from her today. Hi, Anne. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Marianne. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, it's been over 10 years since I visited Tokyo and I've never been with my kids. Although I was just looking at some photos yesterday and it's really made me want to go back. So I definitely see a Japan trip in my near future. So I'm really looking forward to hearing all your tips today and I will be making notes for myself. So Anne, why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your family and a bit more about your experience with visiting Tokyo. Yeah, thanks, Marianne. Uh, my husband, Tony, and I uh, live in Sydney 
and we both work full-time and do our blog as a part-time activity. So far, we've done two trips to Japan with our kids, which has been great. We have three children. Our daughter is currently 14 and our two boys are aged 13 and 10. Uh, Our previous trip was about four years ago, so they were in the sort of younger bracket, I guess, when we last visited. We decided to focus on Japan as a destination because there was just so much that we didn't know when we first went and we made a lot of mistakes. So one of the reasons we decided to focus our blogging on Japan was to try and help other people to hopefully not make the same mistakes that we did. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to hear all your insider tips then. And now from a newcomer's point of view, I think Tokyo can be a little daunting. It's known as one of the world's biggest and most exciting cities. But what is it about Tokyo that makes it a great city to visit with kids? Well, where do you start? (laughs) There's such a diverse range of experiences that you can have all within a very small place. And, you know, while there's the, I guess, the more conventional tourist attractions, for me, part of the attraction is just the culture. Yeah, even just, you know, we love going to convenience tours. (laughs) (laughs) And the children love it because you can just see them. They walk in and uh, they're like, oh, wow, what am I going to choose this time? And, uh, you know, they, over time, you know, on a longer trip, they develop their favourite items but Uh even just little things like that are such a lot of fun Uh it's so very Um, different isn't it yeah for sure and you've got the the historical element in terms of you know all the Edo period and the shrines and the temples and the religion you have very modern elements in terms of the anime and, and manga culture which my daughter is quite interested in you know range to just the kawaii culture you know the cute food in harajuku pokemon cafes etc so you can just do so much in a small area Uh, in our recent trip we we actually stayed in tokyo for 10 whole days and people look and go wow what did you do for 10 days and i was like no i i could easily have spent a month there Uh and still only scratched the surface Awesome. Okay, well, before we get into the details of all the fun stuff, let's talk about some practicalities about visiting Tokyo. Uh, Firstly, what would you say is the best time to visit? Yeah, so we've now visited Tokyo in both spring and autumn. And I would very much give the thumbs up for both those times of year. Okay. Uh, probably with autumn, just to be aware that there is a risk of typhoons at that time of year still. Uh, when we were there, we didn't have that experience. But certainly many people in our group have been affected by typhoons over the, just this last month or so. Okay. Summer is really hot and humid. At this point, I'm not really planning to go to Tokyo in <laughs> summer anytime, surely, although it is the time of the year if you want to climb Mount Fuji. Okay. Uh, so I think I would go just for that purpose and, and, and a lot of the summer festivals. Um, winter can get quite cold, but Tokyo is not too bad. You know, it's probably similar to Melbourne in terms of the temperature. It occasionally may get a little bit of snowfall, but it melts very quickly. But if you want to ski, you know, from Tokyo, you can easily do day trips to go and hit the snow if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something definitely on my bucket list is skiing in Japan. Okay, and talk to me about getting around Tokyo. It's famous for its complicated metro system. And I think the idea of getting around the city with kids can perhaps be a bit daunting for some people. Do you have any tips or advice to make that easier? Yeah, so uh, the thing you need to get is a uh, public transport pass. Okay. So if you're just staying in, in Tokyo, you don't need to get a Japan rail pass. That's more for you know, longer distance intercity travel. Mm-hmm. So the most common passes, there's one called a Suikar card or a PASMO card. And what they are is basically, you know, if you've traveled in, in Australia, for example, you know, we have an Opal card and a Mickey card. Mm-hmm. It's just the same. It's just a card that you load credit on 
and that you tap on and tap off each time you hop on and off the train. Okay. Air Tokyo is quite different. We've got multiple different providers of trains. So what that means is in Australia, if I thought of Sydney Central Station, I'd go, oh yeah, all trains come in there. Well, Tokyo Station, well, first of all, not every line comes into Tokyo Station, but Tokyo Station is actually three stations side by side. Right. Uh, there's the main Shinkansen Station, there's also a Japan Rail Station, and then there's also a subway station. And so what you have to do to make sure, I guess, each of them gets paid their money is every time you change from one company to the next, you have to tap off and then walk to the next station and tap on again. Right. And then find the platform. <laughs> so, so that's where uh, Tokyo can be a little bit more complicated. But, you know, using a tool like Google Maps, you know, it actually tells you which train and which platforms to go to. But, yeah, the transport passes, if you have one of them, you just keep tapping on and off, add a bit more credit as you need it. And you can get uh, children's versions of those where you only pay 50% of the fare. Okay. But those ones, you have to go to a specific counter and show passports to get that. Okay. Um, and what about <laughs> other ways to get around? Is there any other forms of transport you'd recommend, like taxis, buses? Uh, is it stroller friendly? It can be, but there are there can be quite a lot of steps. Uh, mm -hmm. One thing is, you know, a lot of the major Japanese train stations do have escalators and stuff, so mm -hmm. you can you could get a stroller up and down that relatively okay. It's probably more of an issue if you're going to some of the less touristy locations. Yeah. I feel that it is mostly that way, but like anywhere, there's the likelihood of steps when you go from place to place. And what about taking taxis? Is that easy? Is it expensive? Taxis are really expensive in Japan, okay. uh, so certainly you can take them. But honestly, the trains, once you sort of get into it and, you know, you definitely book your transport to be close to a train station, mm -hmm. you, know, you you pretty quickly learn the ropes to get on and off and get around. Okay. And just how expensive is it to travel in Tokyo and how easy is it to do budget travel? Yeah. So we, we certainly find family accommodation to be a lot more expensive mm -hmm. than, I guess, what we're used to in Australia. I thought I was doing pretty well in Japan to find a suitable room for five of us for any less than a about $400 Australian per oh, night okay. um, and you've got to look at the accommodation descriptions really carefully so in a lot of them they make the assumption that children under a certain age actually sleep in the bed with you okay. so if you want separate beds for your children you need to look really closely at those descriptions uh -huh. uh, and quite a lot of places you can also request like an add-on bed and so on as well so look at that carefully so mm -hmm. yeah accommodation really expensive uh, food there's quite a lot of budget food options and the convenience stores so we found we used a lot of those over time and it just did occasional uh, visits to more expensive restaurants mm -hmm. so that's pretty good although I, my daughter kept pointing out in the convenience stores just how much salt was in everything right. and sugar so um, you know just be cognizant that convenience stores while they're convenient aren't necessarily healthy uh -huh. <laughs> yeah so that's food in terms of attractions or, or getting around with the suicar cards it does cost a bit of money to get around Japan or to get around Tokyo I should say but you know you're not going to blow the budget on that Probably the big one is the number of premium activities you do compared mm -hmm. to sort of more free activities around the place. Yeah, okay. yeah, you can visit all around the place and do so many free things or low-cost entry things. But, yeah, particularly if you start adding on premium activities like Disney and even things like the robot restaurant and all of that, you know, that can really add on to your budget. Okay. And so I, I guess you need to just decide up front, you know, what your budget is for add-on activities. Sure. Uh, but there is some really fun things you can do that are really not that expensive. You know, one thing that we've done on both trips is actually to take the kids to a baseball match. Okay. And you, you can get tickets pretty cheaply during the season. 
uh-huh. often at the door. And it's just such a great cultural experience yeah. to see uh, the Japanese, you know, cheering and uh, each supporter group has different chants and oh, different fun. ways that they um, support their team, which is great. And what about the language barrier? One thing I remember is being surprised by just how few people actually spoke English in Tokyo. Now, this was 10 years ago, so I don't know if it's changed, but I do remember becoming very proficient at sign language. Um, so do you have any other tips on coping with that? Yeah, so we don't speak any Japanese at all, apart from, you know, please and thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and And as you said, it it hasn't changed in 10 years. There's still quite a lot of people who seem to have very minimal English. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we just managed to get by. In Mm -hmm. in major tourist areas, you'll typically have people that do have a better quality of English language skills. Uh, And a lot of the train stations, you know, and as you said, you just use sign language to get by. You know, so, yeah, we manage okay. And uh, we're not rushing out to take Japanese lessons just yet. I remember everyone being very helpful and very keen to do sign language back to us. So (laughs) we managed to get by too. Okay, then let's get into some of the more fun stuff then. Let's imagine we only have three days in the city. Uh, What are some of the must-do things we shouldn't miss? Can you kind of talk us through an itinerary? Yeah, for sure. On the first day, uh, I would definitely get the kids and go and do something to do with sumo. Either go and see a sumo tournament or go and watch a sumo training session if your children are old enough. Mm -hmm. They have to sit very quietly. So it's not so good or not activity for people with younger children but also just the sumo area is quite fascinating you know there's statues everywhere they have their uh, sumo chenko lunch that you can have that, that was quite yummy so there's a lot to see and do around the Ryogoku area uh, not far from there is then the Asakusa area. Mm-hmm. And Asakusa is uh, well known for uh, the main temple, uh, Sensoji. And near there is Nakamazi Street. And it is a plethora of all different sorts of food experiences, traditional shops, places to eat. So it's a great area that you could easily take the kids and wander around and just buy, you know, effectively street food, you know, a taste of this and a taste of that. Mm-hmm. And you could easily spend a couple of hours there. And, and going through the temple itself as well is, is a great experience. Right beside there is the cultural centre. You can actually go up to the top floor of that and actually get quite a good view over Tokyo cool. and the area, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my last thing for that first day would be to plan to do some foodie experiences. So uh-huh. whether that's convenience stores, whether that's uh, finding, I think on our first trip, we found a place near where we stayed, which sold a Japanese style fried chicken. Mm-hmm. I think we ended up going back there a couple of times. <laughs> it, was just, it was just nice. It was kid friendly. And this is the thing is like, I would really encourage people to explore the area around where they're staying. You can have a lovely walk around, find a grocery store, go and see what they sell in the shop. Mm-hmm. compared to what you're used to at home look for the local restaurants and you know maybe pick out a couple that you would would like to try while you're in the area uh-huh. you know overall I'd say you can eat pretty well on a budget and there's a good range of kid-friendly food available okay so that's day one <laughs> yeah so day two uh, I would definitely recommend that families go to one of the team lab experiences okay so this is a digital arts installation so there's team lab borderless and team lab so one is in Adeba and the other is located uh, just near the new Toyosu seafood market. It's like a combination of a light show and also a sensory experience. They put on it the display that is uh, you know, in all different rooms and different experiences. Uh, they have projected images that go on the walls but also on you. So, for example, you wear a white shirt and your kids get all lit up. In both of them, they have a room called the Crystal Room 
which is set up with these big long beads of crystal and then they run like a different light show so it keeps changing color and it's just amazing and, and it's got a mirrored floor so you can lie on the floor and look up at it oh, cool. or you can you can do all sorts of crazy uh, photos which is which is quite good fun uh-huh. so yeah our, our children definitely rated the team lab as some of their best experiences in Tokyo okay uh, we did both of them on our recent trip and I think you could do either and have a lovely time they're, they're a little bit different so team lab planets is very strictly controlled and you have specific timings when you book your tickets Whereas Team Lab Borderless, which is in a day bar, is a bit more open, but it also can get quite busy later in the day. Whereas Planets is sort of like a one-way funnel. So okay. they take a batch and they all go through and then the next slot come in. So, yeah, they were awesome. You could easily explore Adaba as well. You've got um, the big Gundam statue. You've got lots of cool shops. You can have your giant fairy floss. You can see the small version of the Statue of Liberty. Who mm-hmm. knew that was in uh, Tokyo? <laughs> I did not know uh, so that. <laughs> yeah, you could easily spend a few hours exploring that area. You could possibly go on a, a riverboat cruise as well from there. Okay. Uh, the other thing that's located not far from there is a thing called the Ghibli Clock. Okay. So you may have heard of Studio Ghibli and yep. some of the animated movies. Mm-hmm. Well, there's actually a Ghibli Clock, which is free, not far from Shimbashi Station, which isn't too far from Adaiba. Okay. So we watched it in the rain. We were the only ones there, I think. <laughs> uh, but it's this awesome, like, you know, if you want to see a mechanical clock that's just really different, that was actually quite a fun experience. Okay. And what about day three then? Okay. So day three, I've got a big day here. I don't know if you could reasonably fit it all in give us a go Uh, i definitely suggest you start with the ghibli museum okay now the thing to realize is that that takes an hour on the train to get out to it's out west of the city right but it's well worth the trip and you can easily spend half a day there exploring Mm -hmm. from there you can come back to tokyo and you arrive back at shinjuku station on the western side of tokyo and from there you can go and see the big godzilla that's okay. up on the top of the Gracery Hotel. Uh, if you're interested in going to the robot restaurant, mm-hmm. that's just in the area as well. And uh, the robot restaurant we went to with the kids, and a lot of people ask, you know, is it suitable for children? Uh-huh. Uh, our answer is resoundingly yes, it is okay. suitable. However, if you book a session that has a pre-show, the pre-show wasn't perhaps suitable for children. Okay. So, yeah, but they do have earlier sessions in the afternoon which don't have that pre-show. Right. Uh, um, the other thing they do provide is head headphones so if you've got a child that is sensitive to loud noises you can get the headphones to put on or alternatively you could take your own uh, earplugs to put in for the show okay and that's so it's like dinner with a show is it uh no well you can buy food there but no one recommends it it's all pretty (laughs) average stuff so it is mainly just a show you can buy drinks and you can get some snacks basically but wouldn't you wouldn't go there for dinner oh okay okay Uh, and it is just this awesome show how do you describe it lights it's sound it's amazing you know they call the robots they're not really robot they're massive almost like puppets right that they use and they tell stories so yeah it's just a good sit back relax and enjoy the show with lots of different elements and ooh moments uh-huh. you know taiko ming and all sorts oh, of good cool. stuff yeah so the robot restaurants there uh the other one uh that's in that area is the uh tokyo toy museum mm-hmm. so that has a huge range of uh, handcrafted toys and kids get to have a go at making their own uh it's got a good indoor and outdoor play area 
area. So that, that one would definitely be a good option for people with the younger mm-hmm. children. And around that area, you know, there's so many shops, food, etc. You could easily spend the rest of your day in Shinjuku. Uh-huh. If you did still have time, though, the one thing I would suggest people do with the kids is a Harajuku food tour. Okay. And actually book in to get a guide to take you around the area because they have some really crazy and really good food. That sounds so, like something I would definitely sign up for. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it would be better adding that one onto the end of day two rather than day three. Right. Now that I look at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all sounds awesome, but I do notice you've missed off one major thing, and that's Tokyo Disneyland. So it probably depends on how much of a Disney fan you are and whether you're going to Japan to sure. go to theme. Park. Sure. We went there, so we actually split up on our most recent trip. Uh, my husband, the older two kids to Disney Sea, and I took our younger child to Disneyland so we okay. could do a bit of a comparison. Uh-huh. You know, there's some great ride um, and activities. Uh, so, yeah, that certainly would be on the list if you had another day. Yeah. Or you could prioritize it over one of the other days that I've suggested. And would you therefore recommend either one over the other or for different ages? They're both pretty good. The Disney Sea has more of the thrill type rides, so it's okay. probably better for people with older kids. Mm-hmm. And also, Uh, The Disneyland in Tokyo has got a lot of similarities with other Disneylands around the world, So, whereas Disney Sea is unique. It's nowhere else. So it it probably also depends on if people have already been to Disneyland elsewhere. You know, if you've done that, then you'd go to Disney Sea instead. Uh For something different, yeah. Yeah. Um, And is there anything else you would recommend if we had longer in Tokyo, any other day trips or any other attractions? Yeah, so probably one of the most popular day trips is to go and visit Mount Fuji, Mm -hmm. the Mount Fuji area area out to the west of the city. It takes about two hours on a bus to get there each way. But there is a whole heap of day trip options. And I guess it also partly depends on the weather. Uh, A lot of people go and then don't actually get to see Mount Fuji because the weather wasn't nice. Uh I mean, we lucked out when we went there recently. We we couldn't have asked for better weather. It was just blue skies and just beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. So to go to see Mount Fuji, if you've got older kids, uh, maybe plan to go to the Fuji Q amusement park. Okay. Uh, my son and older son went to that one and they were like, oh my God. Oh, really? This is like, you know, roller coasters on steroids. It's oh, got cool. four world record winning roller coasters all wow. on the one site and all with that awesome backdrop of Mount Fuji. So uh, that's a really good activity that you can sort of see Mount Fuji and uh, get a bit of adrenaline going. Yeah, that's cool. Same time. Uh, if you've got people who perhaps aren't such thrill junkies, mm-hmm. Um, you've also got the Yoshino Ninja Village. My 10-year-old son and I went there instead because he's not really into thrill rides. Okay. And, yeah, we had a lovely time. Got, he got all dressed up as a ninja, did a heap of ninja obstacle courses and activity. Yeah, you know, we got to throw shurikens and, and blow blow dart. You know, there's quite a lot of things to see and do and to take in the view. Amazing. How about Kyoto? I know a lot of people tag that on. Um, I don't want to go into detail about it, but how long would you recommend if you were going to add it on? So if you're there with kids, the biggest challenge you've got is that there are so many temples and shrines. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think with children you know you can go and see a couple but then after that they're over it yeah uh, so on our previous trip we did have what we called temple day yeah okay. in Kyoto and we went up and you know went to the bamboo forest and we went to about 
three or four different temples and shrines. And look, we were done yeah. <laughs> by the end of that. You know, I look on there and go, oh, there's all these other famous ones that we didn't get to. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I think with kids, take it carefully. Mm-hmm. But there is also other things to do in Kyoto. Again, if you're looking at foodie experiences, mm-hmm. uh, our recent trip, we actually did a food tour through the market. Oh, Nishiki. Nishiki market. So yeah, we, we did a food tour through there. And that was really interesting because you can walk through it yourself without a guide. Uh-huh. But the problem is, you just don't know what you're looking at, yeah. what the history is. So I think the really great thing was our guide was able to show us and explain and, and we got to try stuff that perhaps we wouldn't have if we'd just walked through ourselves. So that, that's a really good activity you can do there as well. Okay. So how long would you recommend? Maybe two or three days? Um, I think two days in Kyoto is probably enough with uh-huh. kids. Yeah. Okay. But if you're an adult, you could spend a bit longer. Oh, and also visiting Nara is the other quite popular you can do it as a half day or as a full day trip from Kyoto. Mm-hmm. So they've got all the deer in the park mm-hmm. that you can feed. Nice. Uh, so the kids really enjoyed that part of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So getting back to Tokyo itself, let's just have a quick chat about the lay of the city and best areas for families to stay. What would you say? Uh, on our recent trip, we stayed actually in two different locations and I would definitely recommend either of them to families. Mm-hmm. Uh, firstly, we stayed in Asakusa, mm-hmm. which is up the northern side of Tokyo and we were just near Sensoji Temple and all that foodie area Mm -hmm. so that was really great because we were able to go out and find some really nice food options each evening you can also wander around the area when there's a few less tourists which is quite nice Mm -hmm. so yeah and we actually stayed in quite budget accommodation there in a in a hostel we had a private room but there is more expensive accommodation around uh the the second location we stayed sounds very similar but is actually different it's called Akasaka so you've got Asakusa (laughs) and Akasaka right Akasaka is located on the western side of Tokyo quite close to Shinjuku and Shibuya okay uh, and so it was a good crossroad location and uh, we had two different subway lines and two different stations very close to where we were staying. Okay. So it made it quite easy to get around uh, the city all directions. And we stayed at the Centurion Classic Hotel there, uh, which was actually really nice, a good option for families. We had a sort of mid-level hotel room uh, which was very comfortable okay and you said earlier just make sure that you are close to a train station right yeah so within a few hundred meters is good Mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to be using them a lot and the last thing you want to do is think oh I've got to do a one kilometer walk to the station or to get back to the hotel after I get off the train and I guess the other thing there is because there's the two different major rail systems so if you are using a Japan rail pass what you want to do if you want to get best value out of that is you really need to stay on the JR Yamanote line which is like a circle line that goes around the city but goes to most of the major tourist areas but if you're not using that if you're just using a sewer car or PASMO card well you can still use that train but in our case we stayed close to the more to the subways which actually go a bit more cross city and can be a bit faster okay there's a heap of other areas that you can stay here in the main Tokyo and Ginza area a lot of people do stay in Shinjuku and I, I guess it is good because there is so much tourist activity there, but it's almost actually overwhelming mm-hmm. the sheer amount of tourists and similar for Shibuya, whereas Akasaka was, there was people around, but it was nowhere near as busy. Right. Even though, but we had a good range of, of shops and restaurants and stuff to go to in the evenings. And I guess... In our case with families, you know, we're not doing the nightclubbing scene. If you were nightclubbing, then, yeah, you probably would want to go and stay in Shinjuku. But, yeah, that's not us. 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, now we've touched on eating quite a bit, and obviously Japan is hugely famous for its amazing food. That's probably a big highlight for a lot of visitors. Just how easy is it to eat out with kids? Um, is there anything particularly we need to know? Any favorite restaurants? Any particular dishes that go down well with your kids? Yeah, there's so much choice, and you know we've taken kids to all sorts of different places. I guess the one just to be careful of is sushi. You know, mm-hmm. so sushi in Japan is not like sushi in a lot of other places. It can be very expensive and a bit more difficult to eat than what, you know, if you're used to more sushi rolls and stuff. Okay. It, it's usually you've got to have some level of chopstick skills to eat it uh, <laughs> <Okay. properly>. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, you know, you, you can just look around. You know, you'll have the fried chicken place. There'll be the, now I can't say it, uh, Japanese pancakes on a... On a, 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 a Economiyaki pancakes, they were quite yummy. You can see places that uh, do more Western-style food. Uh, you've got the convenience stores. I mean, we used to quite regularly just buy stuff at the convenience stores. Yeah, and I guess probably the tip there is you're not supposed to eat as you're walking. Right. Okay. And actually, I, I did discover on our recent trip why that is. Because, you know, you look and go, well, what, why do they have that rule? And, you know, it, it, it actually dates back from when they all used to wear kimonos. Okay. And the kimonos were, were really precious and they might have been handed down through family. You know, they were really expensive. And so if people were eating and got food on the kimono, you know, it was going to be very hard to, to clean it. So mm. I think I think that's the legacy that led to the not eating while you're walking, even though most people aren't wearing kimonos anymore (laughs) so when you do buy from a convenience store some of them do have their own chairs and tables you can sit at or there might be a a local park you can sit and eat uh, or just take it back to your room Uh, but just be cognizant of thinking oh well where am I actually going to eat this Uh uh, when you actually buy stuff so yeah you know there's a huge range of food and not just Japanese food you know lots of other cuisines as well I think by the end of our visit in Akasuka we reached a point that we were ready for something that wasn't Japanese food uh-huh. <laughs> much as I hate to say uh-huh. it. <laughs> One thing I remember that surprised me because when you go for a Japanese anywhere else in the world they will often have a range of different types of like they'll have sushi and they'll have okonomiyaki and they'll have tempura but in Japan each restaurant just does one thing doesn't it? That's right so you go to that restaurant for that one thing. Mm -hmm. Do you find that a challenge with the kids so that everybody has to eat sushi or everybody has to have tempura today? Uh, Our kids are pretty uh, broad in their food experiences but I guess it could be more of an issue if you've got a particularly fussy child. Our children all love rice so any dish that was with rice we could expect that there wouldn't be problems for them to eat. Mm -hmm. So no I I think it's mostly okay but maybe if you've got kids that are going to have trouble with things like chopsticks Uh maybe take your own forks or spoons or whatever. Uh And what was your kids favorite dish that they would have in Japan? Japanese fried chicken. (laughs) Okay. I'm pretty sure that would be my kid's favourite as well. (laughs) Not very adventurous, but they enjoyed it. I mean, they tried everything. And we also, the other thing we did do was a ramen tour. And we went to a couple of other ramen noodle restaurants. And so the kids really enjoyed those Uh as well. And we did too. Okay. And what about packing for Tokyo? Is there anything specific clothing or travel gear we should bring? Well, one of the things you'll find in Japan is all the hotels and even the hostels have a lot of toiletries available. So, you know, every place you went, they had toothbrush, toothpaste, razors, shampoo, soap, all of that sort of stuff. So you can get by 
on the toiletry side, packing pretty light. Mm -hmm. Definitely, like I said, the transport passes and stuff, although you can buy them after you get there. Uh, One thing that we found and that we like to take is either rent a pocket Wi-Fi or to buy a prepaid SIM card because we're constantly using our phones as we travel around Japan, whether we're looking up Google Maps or trying to find a particular thing. So just having the data that you're, you've already got it makes life so much easier. You know, you just set it up when you get there and then you don't have to think about it again until you leave. Uh-huh. So that would definitely be something I recommend people either pre-book or buy after they get there. Okay, so we like to finish with our fast five questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Tell us one hidden gem we won't find in the guidebooks. Everything outside of the main tourist attractions. So that's what I said before, the convenience stores, the little park around the corner, the little shop. There's so much of that in Tokyo. Okay. Uh, one thing we should splurge on. I think a foodie tour. Uh-huh. Whichever one suits you best, you know, ramen or you know, Harajuku food. You just add so much more insight into the Japanese culture by doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one thing we should save our money on. Don't buy tickets to go to the top of the Tokyo Sky Tree. Okay. It'll cost so much money. We did it on the first trip and said never again. You should have just seen how crowded and awful it was. Oh, really? This time around, we went up the Tokyo Metropolitan Building, which is free. Mm-hmm. Still had a bit of a queue to stand in, but so much better experience. Okay, great tip. Uh, one can't live without app. Google Maps. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and where will we get a playground with a coffee and a view? Yeah, so uh, the Tokyo Toy Museum uh, is probably one of the best places. It has both indoor and outdoor play areas for the kids. And uh, before you go in, you can go to the convenience store and get a coffee to take in with you. Okay. And thank you so much for sharing all your insider knowledge with us today. You've definitely made me want to book that trip. (laughs) Um, Now, before you go, please, can you tell us where we can find you online and on social media? Yeah, sure. So uh, our main website is pretraveller.com. And uh, we have a whole section on there about planning your trip to Japan. Okay. Uh, Also, our main Facebook group, which is called Japan Travel Planning. So we have over 70,000 or 75,000 members now. I haven't looked today to see where we're up to. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, just search for that in Facebook and you'll find it very easy and you can apply to join. Fantastic. Thank you, Anne. Thank you very much, Marianne. Now, remember, we will be sharing everything we talked about today and any useful links in our show notes for today's episode, which you can find at littlecitytrips.com slash podcast. And you will also find loads of great information for visiting Tokyo in our family guide to Tokyo on our website. If you have any questions following today's episode, you can jump over to our Facebook group, City Travel with Kids, and we can chat more about any questions you have about traveling with kids. And if you don't want to miss the next episode of City Travel with Kids podcast, please remember to subscribe. Until next time, happy traveling, friends! (laughs) 